You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samar Jalees Ahmed and Daniel Ahmed as well. We uh, And we'll be with you all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel Feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And of course, you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Um, as we usually do on the Tuesday Breakfast Show, uh, we are going to be speaking about three different topics. Um, the first segment is going to be in regards to the uh, a 10-minute scan and how it enables detection and cure of the most common cause of high blood pressure. Um, after the 8 o'clock news, we're going to be speaking uh, about high air pollution alert issued for London. And then last but not least, we're going to be speaking about how researchers uncover 92 fossil nests belonging to some of India's largest dinosaurs. Um, but all of that will be after the uh, the news and the weather and, uh, of course, the current affairs as well, which we go through in the beginning of uh, all of our shows here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Uh, but before we get into that, how are you, how are you guys doing today? Yeah, uh, today very good, uh, apart from the weather, which is quite cold, but mm. slowly adjusting to it. Um, I think now I'm just probably sort of used to it now because mm-hmm. it's been cold for quite some time. You're used to it now that it's uh, it's uh, it's the time to get back into the to the good uh, good temperature. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, apparently it is the time to get back. But yeah. I've uh, seen some. Uh, reports and some news uh, um, links where they're saying that it's it may be the coldest February mm-hmm. to come. So um, let's see. Oh, okay. I mean, even today we've we've seen uh, <laughs> minus uh, degrees after quite a while. Yeah. I think it's been about what two weeks or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so so what's what's the weather looking like? Uh, not just here in London, but um, across the UK then. Yeah. So today we'll see plenty of winter sunshine. For the southern southern half of the UK, but patches of fog may uh, be slow to clear. Variable cloud in the north with some patchy light rain pushing south eastwards. Tonight, variable cloud will linger across central parts of the UK with odd spot of rain possible. To the north and south, skies will be clearer, but patchy fog will again develop in the south. Tomorrow, which is Wednesday, tomorrow we'll see patchy fog slowly clearing across the south, leaving sunshine. To the north, it will be cloudier and breezier, with a band of rain pushing in from the northwest later in the day. And now an outlook for Thursday to Saturday, we see a band of rain will weaken as it moves southeastwards overnight into Thursday, with wintry showers following in behind for northwestern scotland friday will be cloudier uh, uh, friday will be cloudy with spell of rain in the north but drier and brighter to the south saturday is expected to be a largely settled day with variable cloud and bright spells for many just the odd light shower in the north mm-hmm. 
So we can see um, <coughs> that the weather isn't as great uh, as it was, let's say, last week, but, uh, but, it's, but it's still not too bad either, isn't it? Yeah, I think in, uh, now it's uh, getting to the point where uh, it's, it's starting to dry up. Um, but obviously, you know, patchy rain is still there and there's a... The, the cold is still there, but for me, I see that it's uh, something that I've uh, adjusted to now. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's get into the current affairs. We'll, we'll go through the newspaper headlines um, and then uh, speak about a few which uh, catch our interest um, even more as well. Saved from hell. Uh, after biggest quake in 84 years. Uh, the Metro leads with a picture of a child being pulled from the wreckage of a collapsed building after two huge earthquakes left thousands dead in Turkey and Syria. The paper says residents turned rescuers gently past the young girl between a gap that was once her home. Leading with the same picture of a girl being rescued from the rubble, the Daily Mirror describes it as a moment of hope amid the horror, quote-unquote. The paper says there is a race against time to save people who are trapped under hundreds of buildings collapsed. A building rescuer said, I can only describe it as Armageddon, quote-unquote, notes the paper. International rescue missions were rushing to Russia and Turkey on Monday after the region was hit by the most powerful earthquake in at least a century, The Guardian reports. Uh, The paper says a 7.8 magnitude quake hits in the darkness of a winter morning and was followed by a second 7.7 magnitude um, quake in the middle of the day. The Time says the death toll after the earthquake was expected to rise on Monday night in a region already suffering war and a refugee crisis. The World Health Organization said the total figure could increase eightfold, the paper notes. It also features a picture of a girl being carried through a crowd after she was rescued from a collapsed building in Diyarbakir, Turkey. Turkish President Recep Tayyip says that as removal efforts continue, we cannot know how high the number of dead and injured will rise, quote-unquote, reports the Financial Times. The paper says the earthquake was the biggest quake in 84 years, quote-unquote, and tremors were also (laughs) felt in Egypt. Rescuers were racing against the clock to save people trapped under under the rubble of some 3,000 buildings flattened in Turkey. The Daily Express reports, the paper says most victims were asleep when the first quake hits at about uh, 04 or uh, 4 o'clock local time. Mm-hmm. Help them, quote-unquote, declares The Sun as it reports 10,000 people are feared dead after the earthquakes. The paper leads with the launch of its Sun Earthquake Appeal and says all money raised will be donated to the British Red Cross. The story appears alongside a picture of Beyonce at the Grammys 2023, where she won a record-breaking 32nd award. Meanwhile, the former First Minister, Alex Salmond, has accused Nicola Sturgeon of throwing away, quote-unquote, years of momentum for Scottish independence over her new trans law. The Daily Telegraph says... The, the, uh, the paper reports on Mr. Salmon's first intervention in the row. He says, Miss Strugent's self-indulgent nonsense, quote-unquote, on gender self-identification 
laws had seen backing for independence decline sharply, the Telegraph notes. Amid warnings that Britain can no longer defend itself, Rishi Sunak was under pressure to increase military funding on Monday night, the Daily Mail reports. The paper says that there are growing fears that there will be no extra money for the UK's armed forces despite the war in Ukraine. According to sources, this has unsettled senior military officers, the paper's notes. The return of former Prime Minister Liz Truss has damaged the Tory party, the I reports. Referencing a poll, the paper notes that people still do not like Liz uh, Truss um, and she has not been forgiven. The poll also reveals that Truss's toxic effect, uh, quote-unquote, was baked in from her time at number 10, according to what the paper says. The Daily Star says half-term holidays are being hit with new travel chaos as the number of new passports being lost hits a five-year high. Some 1 in 20 people are waiting more than 10 weeks for their passport, the paper notes. Um, As we can see, uh, the devastation in Turkey and Syria is depicted across the front pages uh, in today's newspapers. Saved from a hellquake is the metro's description, as we mentioned earlier, alongside a photograph of a child being pulled alive from the rubble. The Daily Mirror has the same image, describing it as a moment of hope amid the horror, quote-unquote. The paper says there is a race against time to save people who are trapped after hundreds of buildings collapsed. It quotes a British rescuer saying, I can only describe it as Armageddon. Uh, Truly apocalyptic is how the Daily Express sums up the disaster. Catastrophic, says The Guardian. Help them, quote-unquote, is the Sun's headline as it launches an emergency appeal. In an editorial, the paper says it speaks volumes for Ukraine that it was among the first to offer uh, help to Turkey, uh, despite being a violated country fighting for its life, quote-unquote. It urges its readers to spare a few quid if they can. The Daily Mail uh, leads on fears that Britain will be left defenceless unless the MOD gets more funding. It quotes sources as saying that the Prime Minister, uh, his silence um, on the issue has unsettled senior military officers um, as generals see the army's supply stores raided to provide support to Ukraine. The paper's lead um, leader column warns that stinting on uh, defence is a dangerous folly uh, because it's uh, if security is compromised, all other areas of national life are imperiled. The eye focused on the return to the political limelight off Liz Truss with the pollsters warning that her comeback has damaged the Conservatives and is highlighting divisions. It quotes the polling expert Sir John Curtis as saying the toxic effect of Truss is baked in from her time in number 10. Her allies insist she is local to Mr Sunak and her comeback is an attempt to create a tax-cutting legacy after failing to achieve that in office. The Daily Mirror accuses the former Prime Minister of being unapologetic with the headline, Not Me, Gov. Um, Its editorial says that the more Liz Truss speaks, the more deluded she sounds. But the Daily Telegraph says the Prime Minister would do well to heed at, at least some of what she says. And the economy needs him. 
to define himself uh, in favor of completing what she started by cutting spending as well as tax. Um, coming towards the end of the summary of today's newspapers, the Independent Online leads on the fatalities at the prestigious Epsom College in Surrey, where the headteacher Emma Patterson was found dead alongside her seven-year-old daughter and husband. Um, it reports that the police searched the school's rifle range after gunshots at 1 a.m. Quote, unquote, police have called the deaths an uh, isolated incident. Finally, the Telegraph leads on a warning to Scotland's first minister by her predecessor, Alex Salmond, that the trans row is throwing away years of momentum for Scottish independence. He accuses Nicola Sturgeon of self-indulgent nonsense, quote-unquote, on gender self-identification laws, adding that uh, to say to a majority of people that you cannot have single-sex spaces prized and worked and strived for because of some daft ideology imported from elsewhere uh, borders on the totally um, absurd, quote-unquote. Miss Sturgeon has made clear that he sh- she still intends to challenge the UK's government, uh, UK government's decision to stop gender reforms be- becoming law in Scotland. Um, and that is uh, the current affairs for the day. That's the newspaper headlines, rather, for today. Um, uh, Jaleesa and Daniel, were there any which specifically uh, caught your eye? Of course, there's the the earthquake, which we'll be speaking about as well. Um, but, uh, but 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 other than that, uh, which articles uh, uh, caught, caught your attention? Um, there's one article which um, caught my attention this morning. Um, is by BBC, uh, which says that the headline is that uh, digital pound likely this decade, um, Treasury says, a state-backed digital pound is likely to be launched (coughs) later this decade, according to the Treasury and the Bank of England. (coughs) Both institutions um, uh, (coughs) want to ensure the public has access to safe money that is easy to use in the digital age. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt said the central bank digital currency, CBDC, could be a new trusted and accessible way to pay, but it will not be built until at least 2025. We want to investigate what is possible first, whilst always making sure we protect financial stability, Mr. Hunt said. The, the Treasury and the Bank of England will formally start a consultation for the digital currency on Tuesday. Um, cryptocurrencies are not backed by a central ba- bank and the value can short up and down rapidly. But while it may use technology uh, similar to cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and uh, some other currencies, um, the digital pound issued by the Bank of England would be less volatile. 10 digital pounds will always be worth the same as 10 pounds in cash, the the Treasury says. Though as holidaymakers will know, the value of the pound does change relative to other currencies. Uh, Prime Minister Richard Sunak asked the Bank of England to look into backing a currency in 2021 as Chancellor. And in October 2022, Mr. Sonak's financial service minister, Andrew, uh, Andrew warned a, uh, a lengthy delay could create problems uh, for the economy. Right now, there's a pr- probability 
uh, that little need for a digital pound. Uh, people use their debit cards or phones or even watches to fulfill the same functions. Uh, it is a solution to a problem that does not yet exist. But this is looking towards a near future that sounds like monetary science fiction as its heart it is about data on what you spend. And what the entire population spends, it is a world where people might just choose to trust international private sector brands in finance or in tech more than the state. Think Amazon or Facebook or maybe Chinese-owned Alibaba or TikTok um, having a version of Sterling. So that was the news which caught my eye today, and it's a bit, yeah, um, a very good news for for us. So that we don't need to uh, use uh, the uh, apparent money, you know, uh, the money in uh, in cash in hand uh, at hand. So it will be easier for us to while we are traveling and going somewhere. You know, you have the phone; you can use your phone anytime for for paying. Uh, your money mm -hmm. so it's a bit easy way to you know pay your pay your bills pay your money um, anything sort of like this uh -huh. okay interesting <coughs> yeah I saw one in um, Sky News it quite it stood out to me uh, so as we know there's a there's a um, cost living mm -hmm. uh, crisis that is going on um, nowadays <coughs> And uh, this headline uh, is uh, uh, one paycheck away from homelessness, quote unquote. Striking workers tell their stories. <coughs> Sorry. And it's uh, it's uh, explains uh, one civil servant tells Sky News that she is, uh, quote unquote, one paycheck away from homelessness after a decade of real terms cuts to her wages. And... Um, there's one thing I wanted to share about this is that <coughs> excuse me um, throughout the whole article uh, there was one thing that just stood out to me where I uh, I would like to share over here it says that Miss Clark said she is uh, terrified every day quote unquote as food costs and bill spiral in the cost of living crisis <coughs> so <coughs> excuse me um, so obviously, living through this, we also know that you know there is a cost of living crisis, um, and uh, the news has also you know, there's plenty of there's a plethora of li uh, links that you can read where people have mentioned uh, what is going on nowadays. But there's one thing I wanted to mention. <coughs> excuse me, the Islamic aspect side of this where. There is obviously there is a cost of living, and uh, as this link, as uh, this news um, that I just uh, shared, there's people uh, stating their uh, uh, their concerns, and this one it reminded me of one um, hadith, uh, one narration of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he says that a man is not a believer who fills his own stomach mm -hmm. while his neighbor is hungry, and uh, this you know very beautifully uh, highlights that. As Muslims, we should be, you know, um, looking after obviously your own household. Obviously, that's that's priority as well. But you should also, uh, along with that, you should know your neighbors. You should know, <coughs> excuse me, you should know if they are in any need or something. Then you should be the first to offer 
uh, help. And you know, this is one thing which is the beauty of Islam, where mm. it uh, if if everyone was to help out their neighbors, then you know such a crisis could possibly be avoided. You know, there will there won't be people who will be worried about when they will be getting the next meal. Yeah. Um, and you know, the beauty of Islam is something that it it every day there's a uh, there's issues that go on, but Islam has already the answer to it. It's just a matter of uh, you know people waking up mm. and seeing that you know the answer is here. It, the answer lies in Islam. Yeah. It's within Islam. I mean, it's, Islam is a universal religion, isn't it? It wasn't just for the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But rather, like you said, in every uh, day-to-day problems that we see, even now, almost 1,500 years later, uh, we can still go to to Islam and learn what Islam teaches us in that regard. Um, and I'm sure we will be able to find some kind of a solution, some kind of a resolution in which we are able to come out of whatever that predicament might be. Um, you mentioned neighbors. Uh, Islam, uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he went to such an extent that he said that uh, the, the the angel Gabriel would come down and speak so much about the, the rights of neighbors that he thought uh, that they might even be heirs to your inheritance. Um, and, and how can that be? If uh, we don't know our neighbours, especially um, over here in South London, in, in particular, so the south of Eng- uh, south of England, I should say, um, we we're we're so engrossed within our day to day lives in which we don't even have the time or, or the courtesy to 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 say good morning, uh, for instance, to to our our neighbours or to anyone we see um, on, on the road whilst walking or or, or, or going uh, to to work or wherever you might be going um we're we're so busy in our day-to-day lives that even it might seem as if it's a crime to ask someone how they're doing or or what's (laughs) what the time is you you need to think to yourself five times before actually asking um so so yeah this is something that we we really need to uh remedy within ourselves that uh, we have this relationship with our neighbors in which they do feel open uh, 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 uh enough for them to come to us and and say that well we're we're having a difficult time, um, and maybe if you can help us out, then that that would be uh, much appreciated. Um, but obviously, you you won't be able to do that if you if you're not uh, close, if you're not uh, if you don't have that relationship with your neighbor as well. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, beautifully mentioned, uh, and it just goes to show that, uh, especially what you mentioned, actually, about uh, being one paycheck away from uh, from homelessness. Uh, I remember doing a show on this. Uh, I think this was back when I used to do drive time um, a, a number of years ago. Uh, we we did a show on homelessness, and and actually, you'll be surprised to know that uh, the people that we see who are homeless. Um, the, it's not people who have been brought up in poverty. I mean, especially over here in England, we have so many facilities, we have so many, uh, so much help from the government as well. Uh, obviously, more can be done, or more can always be done uh, about anything. But uh, you'll be surprised to know that a lot of the people were 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 well-off people 
uh, but due to some kind of a circumstance, uh, whether it's a gambling addiction, whether it's uh, uh, whatever, right, um, the loss of a partner, uh, whatever it might be, because of that that one thing, uh, it can be more things as well, but because of those one or two things, that person then becomes homelessness, uh, homeless. Um, and it's just it just goes to show that anything can happen to anyone. Uh, one day you might be living a very comfortable life and you might think that you're untouchable. But uh, this is something that we should always keep in our minds, that God Almighty has the power to do anything and everything. And so if we feel as if, oh, we're untouchable, nothing can happen to us, we, we, own, we, we earn a good salary and we, we, uh, we, we have enough to pay the rent and to, to pay the mortgage and this and that or whatever, no. Allah the Almighty is the only one who has uh, the power to do absolutely anything that he wills. And so regardless of how much money we might have in our bank accounts or how much we have saved up uh, <clears throat> and stored up, this is something that we should always keep in mind that we are absolutely nothing. Uh, we, should, we are we, we're, we're, we're the lowest of low and uh, we need to always turn to God Almighty for him to, to help us and uh, assist us in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, I think we must understand that Allah Almighty, He is the ultimate provider. And, um, you know, I, I, you mentioned that in, in our daily lives, uh, in, especially in England or in London, it's such it's such a fast pace where everyone's getting uh, going out and doing their jobs, going out, uh, living their lives. And it's so fast-paced where everyone's out trying to uh, earn provision yeah. But they forget that the provider is God. Exactly. So this is one thing that we should remember. Um, and as Muslims, we are always reminded, especially even in the Holy Quran, we always read that Allah, Allah Almighty is the ultimate provider. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. Um, the, the the earthquake, uh, 7.8 and 7.7 7 that we've seen uh, on the Richter scale, the, 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 the biggest uh, in that region uh, for, for uh, I believe, a century now. Um, uh, Daniel, when when such a, uh, a thing occurs, uh, when such a thing happens, then what kind of a reaction should we have as uh, as Muslims? I think the first reaction as a Muslim, what we know from the Holy Quran and from the Sharia, is that um, uh, from the Quran we find that Allah the Almighty says that uh, when the believers, when the when the calamity falls upon the believers. Uh, the only response which they have is that they say that uh, truly to Allah we belong mm-hmm. and truly to Him we return. Yeah. So that's the first response should be uh, of a believer, of a Muslim. And uh, because we believe that everything comes from God Almighty and uh, He is, as Jali said, He is also the provider as well, ultimate provider. Yeah. So hopefully... Uh, we pray for we pray for such people, and our condolences are with them. And uh, uh, there was news on uh, on the guard on the Guardian, which says that World uh, World Health Organ- Organization says that um, the death toll mile passes twenty thousand people. Yeah. So th- that's a surprising fact, you know. So yeah. and worrying fact as well. Yeah. And so we should be, um, you know, um, praying for our people, praying for our fellow beings uh, that uh, may God save them um, from any further afflictions which may or might befall upon them. So it is our responsibility as um, as a Muslim, as a human being first, 
um, to pray for them and also uh, uh, to the extent we what what we can do uh, in our capacities uh, we should be doing and we should we can either you know care um, uh, do some charity for them yeah. um, so that uh, those people um, who are in dire need um, we ca- they can be helped uh, so uh, that's uh, as again um, as a Muslim it's our duty and um, um, that we should return to Allah uh, in such um, dire states um, and to to him we should be seeking the help mm-hmm most certainly, most certainly. I mean, we 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 know as Muslims that we have two duties, yeah. one uh, which are the rights that we owe towards God Almighty, and the way that we do that is by rendering thanks to Him, being grateful to Him, by worshiping Him, uh, praying to Him, and uh, the second uh, duty, which is uh, literally it goes hand in hand, right? You can't have one without the other, um, and that is to 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 look after the creation of uh, God Almighty, the duties that we owe to mankind. Um, and so when we see such uh, a thing happening, and if we are in a position to assist, whether it is through monetary terms, whether it's through giving our time, whether it's uh, through uh, helping with our resources, whatever we have or whatever we have available to us to give, that is something that we should be doing. And, uh, and and assisting wherever possible. It's it's yeah. a matter of I mean the the, the opening verses of uh, Surah uh, Al Fatiha, yeah. which is the very first chapter of the Holy Quran. Um, it's just seven verses, but uh, it's this this chapter of the Holy Quran has also been referred to as the summary of the Holy Quran. Um, and uh, and and it, it, within that, the first uh, the, the, after Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, in the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, Ever Merciful, the very first verse is in fact that Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And what that means is uh, all praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. It's not Rabbul Muslimin. It's not that uh, he is Lord of the Muslims. Um, But rather, God Almighty has clearly showed in the opening verses of the Holy Quran that he is Lord of all of the worlds. And so as um, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was also rahmatan lil alamin that he was the mercy for the whole of mankind again he wasn't just the mercy for muslims and so the teachings that we see within islam when it tells us to give to charity when it tells us to help others to assist others to to do whatever we can to to be of benefit to other people then this is not just limited to muslims but rather this is something that we need to do regardless of whatever faith someone might belong to whatever um <clears throat> lineage they have, whatever tribe they might belong to, whatever background they have, right? Um, this is something that we as Muslims always need to keep in mind. Yeah, and Certainly, if yeah. we if we truly love the Creator, then it's uh, then it's necessary that we also love the cre- creation as well. So I like what you said that you know uh, the rights we owe to God and the rights we owe to man they go both in hand in hand. Yeah, we can't have one without the other. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, sorry. One last thing. Yeah, um, it reminded me from your your point, Rabbul Alamin. Mm-hmm. Um, just adding to the point, uh, um, God Almighty also says that in the Holy Holy Quran that help each other in acts of piety and righteousness, and do not suppress or transgress. That's a beautiful example uh, you gave, and it uh, beautifies the whole thing, whole yeah. narration, and um, and it is the only way we can uh, get the mercy of God Almighty. 
So we should be seeking for that as a Muslim, especially. Definitely, mm, yeah. definitely, beautifully uh, put there, Daniel. Jazakallah, thank you for that. Um, with that, we are going to be going, uh, moving on from the current affairs section um, and getting into the first segment for the day. Um, just as a quick reminder for you, if you are just tuning in, um, the three topics that we're going to be discussing today are um, the first one being a 10-minute scan and how it enables detection and a uh, cure of the most common cause of high blood pressure. After the 8 o'clock news, we're going to be speaking about high air pollution alert issued for London. And then last but not least, researchers uncover 92 fossil nests belonging to some of India's largest dinosaurs. That's what we are going to be discussing towards the end of the breakfast show today, the last segment. Um, getting straight into the first topic of the day, 10-minute scan enables detection and cure of the most common cause of high blood pressure. Well, doctors have used a new type of CT scan to light up tiny nodules in a hormone gland and cure high blood pressure by their removal. The nodules are discovered in 1 in 20 people with high blood pressure. Um, Jalice, we've read uh, this article um, um, beforehand whilst researching for the show. If you can kindly summarise it for the benefit of our listeners, please. Yeah, so uh, doctors at uh, Queen Mary University of London, Barts Hospital and Cambridge University Hospital have led research using a new type of uh, CT scan to cure uh, high blood pressure by removing hormone-producing nodules. It says that um, the link, uh, the story basically says that uh, 128 people participated in a study of a new scan that found that their high blood pressure was caused by a steroid hormone, uh, aldosterone. The scan detected that uh, 18 out of 24 patients who could be cured of hypertension by surgical removal of the gland. Um, and uh, we further uh, it says that uh, Professor Morris Brown, who's a co-senior author of the study, said that uh, aldosterone-producing nodules are easily overlooked on a regular CT scan, but can often be cured. Uh, professor William Drake, co-senior author of the study and professor of clinical endocrinology at Queen Mary University of London, said that the future of research is in very safe hands. Uh, most people with uh, hypertension have an unknown cause, but a gene mutation in the adrenal glands may be, pos uh, may be responsible. Uh, this puts them at risk of uh, heart attacks and strokes. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting uh, research which has been done over here. Um, when, when we actually think about how this research was carried out or what steps they they looked at, um, Daniel, if you can kindly uh, mention that for the benefit of our listeners, please. Um, so the scans uses a very short-acting dose of uh, metamidate a radioactive diet that sticks only to to the um, uh, aldosterone um, producing nodule. Uh, the scan was not only as accurate as the old um, catheter test, but also quick and painless and uh, technically successful in all the patients. Until now, 
and the catheter and test was not capable of uh, predicting which patients could be fully cured of hypertension uh, by surgically removing the gland. In contrast, um, a hot nodule on the scan combined with a urine uh, steroid and test detected 18 um, out of uh, 24 patients uh, who achieved normal blood pressure of uh, all their drugs. Mm. So yeah. you can see it's, qu- it's quite quite successful. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, it, it, the scan uh, was not it wasn't just uh, as accurate as the old catheter test yeah. but also uh, quick painless and and technically uh, all of the patients that that uh, underwent this um their results were successful as well so so it, it is a a good step in the right direction um the findings of the study well in most people with high blood pressure uh, the cause is actually unknown and it requires lifelong treatment by drugs Previous research by the group at Queen Mary University found that in 5 to 10% of people with hypertension, the cause is a gene mutation in the adrenal glands, which uh, results in excessive amounts of the steroid hormone, um, aldosterone being produced. Aldosterone, um, Aldosterone, sorry, causes salt to be retained in the body, driving up the blood pressure. Uh, Patients with excessive uh, aldosterone levels in the blood are resistant to treatment with the commonly used drugs for high blood pressure and uh, at increased risk of heart attacks and strokes. Uh, Yeah, so uh, when we see this, um, uh, where the professor, he mentioned that um that the research is in uh, safe safe hands mm-hmm. it's in very safe hands uh, this was professor william drake who was a co-senior author of the study of the professor of clinical Endo- endocrinology at queen mary university of london um mm-hmm. he said this um we should also remember that uh, it's um, as muslims we believe that uh, and this is, there's a verse in the holy quran as well that wa maridtu fahuwa yashfini that uh, when it is when i fall ill then it is he, it is he, Allah Almighty, who um, heals, who, ha- who heals me. He is the, he is, he has the power to heal, uh, uh, to, to heal uh, mankind. And uh, this is, in fact, a prayer of uh, Prophet Abraham. Mm. And um, we, when, when we, as Muslims, when we study the Holy Quran, we see that you know Abraham, he attributes all uh, you know illness or ailment to himself. And uh, as in to man, and says that all remedy and cure is from God, and we see that um, as Muslims, we believe that uh, when, whenever we, are, whenever we are maybe ill, or we we have a certain uh, calamity that we are going through, then uh, uh, over here we're talking we're talking about health. Um, it's mainly uh, we understand that it's. It's it's uh it's because of man's shortcomings that something like this happens, because um even in the Holy Quran we see that ma asaba kamin hasatin famin Allah that whatever of good comes to thee is from Allah and ma asaba kamin sayyatin famin nafsik that uh, whatever of evil befalls thee is from thyself. Now um if we just in in simple terms if if you would if someone would wanted to understand uh, the point that is being mentioned here is that if it's cold outside mm. and 
someone does not take precautions. He doesn't wear a jacket. He doesn't wear gloves. He doesn't wear a scarf. He doesn't take full precautions. Um, then naturally he is mo- more prone to getting ill than a person who himself takes precautions. Exactly. So, you know, this is what one thing we believe that, you know, man himself uh, should first take precautions. Uh, he should have f- uh, firm faith in God that it is he, he who is the ultimate healer. And um, there is also an attribute of Allah Almighty that he is a Shafi. He is the healer. And uh, as Muslims, we we remember that ultimate is uh, Allah Almighty is the ultimate healer, and it is He who can um, cure through both medicine and divine intervention. Yeah, yeah. And when we uh, the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace, um, he actually stated that whenever we pray to God Almighty, then we should always keep His attributes in mind as well. Um, so if, for instance, we are afflicted with some kind of a disease or some kind of an ailment or an illness, then when we refer to God Almighty, then we shouldn't just call him God or Allah, but rather we should refer to him as a Shafi, like you mentioned, the attribute of God Almighty being the healer. Um, and similarly, if, uh, let's say, you are in need of God's mercy, uh, you would refer to him as Ar-Rahim, the merciful. If you um, uh, if you want his uh, blessings and you want his bounty, then you'd refer to him as Ar-Rahman, the gracious. Or if you want to, you've committed sin and you want forgiveness, then of course you'd refer to him as Al-Ghafoor, isn't it? The the, the, yeah. forg- the forgiver. And so the 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 reason why I'm mentioning this um, is because when we refer to God Almighty by His attributes and then those attributes come into play when we are uh, when we when we uh, uh, render our thanks to him and when we um, worship him and and uh, prostrate before him then um, even in our own lives we need to uh, emulate that as well of course it's on a much a much smaller scale uh, when we talk about god almighty being uh, a shafi or a Rahim or a Rahman or whatever uh, attribute that we refer to him as, that is on a on an on an, on such a level that we cannot even comprehend. But still, within our day to day lives, we need to uh, inculcate that uh, as well. And what I mean by this is, if God Almighty is forgiving, if He is merciful, if He is if He is gracious, if He is the healer, then. In our own spheres of life, however small it might be, it might just be limited to yourself as an individual. It might be limited to yourself and your wife, your your partner, I should say. Uh, it might be limited to your partner and children, your your parents, your your friends or your uh, co-workers. Um, whatever that circle might be, however small or however large, we need to emulate these attributes of God Almighty within our day-to-day lives um, and be many versions of these attributes. Of course, we know the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he, he also had uh, what, 99 uh, or so uh, attributes as well. Uh, they would, the people would refer to him as Sadiq and Amin, the truthful, right? The honest. Um, and similarly, we also need to do this. And when we do this, we will be able to 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 uh, act upon the true words of uh, Allah the Almighty, of Islam, um, and be proper practicing Muslims as well. Yeah, indeed. And, um, you know, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, in his sermon of uh, 19 December 2008, uh, His Holiness, Hazrat Mizar Masood Ahmed, 
the fifth caliph of the Messiah and the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, he drew the attention of Ahmadi doctors and physicians around the world um, to first and foremost remember that um, remember a principle when he said that God alone is the healer and uh, along with treatment they should pray for their patients in order to secure God's pleasure. Um, you know, as Muslims, like we mentioned before, that we believe that uh, obviously God Almighty is the uh, healer and he may uh, cure through, you know, both medicine and divine intervention. And um, when we, uh, this reminds me of a of a, of a hadith, uh, of a narration of the Holy Prophet, uh, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, he said that, you know, um, when... He encouraged Muslims that whenever there is a person who is ill, then we should we should go to visit mm. that person. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes even visiting the ill can help. You know, if someone is uh, is uh, has a fever or if someone is ill, whatever it may be, that sometimes even visiting them can help. And uh, you know, the Holy Prophet understood this even back then because you know healing the body is is linked to uh, with healing the soul. And, uh, you know, if we if we go and meet those who are, um, you know, maybe our friends and uh, family who are ill, if we meet them, then it's uh, it, it always puts a smile in the face because they feel that, you know, there is someone there who is remembering me. And when we go there, we should also, you know, pray, uh, pray to Allah Almighty as well, that he bestows his uh, um, his uh, blessings on um, the, the person who is ill. Uh, most certainly, um, uh, very beautifully explained, Jalisa and uh, Summer, and uh, <clears throat> I think it's uh, it's the beauty of Islam um, that it you know gives very comprehensive teachings regarding each and every aspect of our life. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's regarding uh, health, um, it's regarding our education, or whatever it is regarding any aspect of our life. And the most, and apart from this, uh, the most beautiful thing of Islam is that. Uh, regardless of of the subject matter uh, whatever angle you look at the subject matter uh, you will find many different examples uh, which beautifies the the whole thing the which beautifies the uh, subject matter like <clears throat> we are talking about the ct scan on regarding the high blood pressure and uh, i think it's a very good step um, regarding uh, <clears throat> in terms of um, saving humanity serving humanity um and from a believer from the from the um as as a muslim um we find many beautiful examples in sharia in holy quran which encourages us to uh, get into those things which can be the which can serve the humanity and uh, we find that for example um in the in holy quran allah the almighty says that laisalil insani lama sa'a yeah so it says that um, that there is not for man except the good for which he strives <coughs> and regardless of um, um any muslim uh, irrespective of him being a muslim christian or any other religion regardless of his ethnicity uh, it's, it's a general or golden rule from the allah the almighty that says that uh, if he even he's a christian or even any he is from any religion if he strives for for, for anything, he will get uh, that thing. 
So we are we are seeing that in the in the European society, in the Western society, people are uh, striving for for the knowledge, uh, worldly knowledge, and we can see the we can see the good side, good impacts of that knowledge. And uh, for example, the example which is given by uh, us in this uh, topic, and the CT scan and the high blood pressure and the um, things which are uh, you know. um linked associated with it with it and um, similarly allah the almighty says that lain shakartum lazidannakum we shouldn't be forgetful um <clears throat> regarding um uh, anything which is um which allah the almighty has given to us and we should be or we should always be thankful and grateful to allah the almighty Uh, because he says that la in shakartum la zidannakum i shall certainly increase my blessing on you if you if you uh, grateful to me so these two are the golden golden rules um, from uh, the holy quran and we should be focusing on these rules if we as a believer believe that islam is the perfect and the uh, uh, universal religion uh we should be focusing on such things that we should be striving for such things uh we should be in the in the um we should be in this race we should be at the forefront leading the humanity serving the humanity and i think it is and it is the purpose which with which the promised messiah came that to serve the humanity to serve and uh, to, to 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 the humanity and to pay the due rights to allah the almighty most certainly most certainly <coughs> and uh, it's just coming back to to what jali said as well in regards to visiting the the sick and visiting the ill um there's actually a hadith qudsi which for the benefit of our listeners is a uh, something which uh, hadith is something a, a narration uh, from the holy prophet muhammad may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him but hadith qudsi is something which god almighty said uh, and the holy prophet muhammad may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him recorded that so these are these are sayings which are not recorded in the holy quran but rather they come under the category of hadith um of the narrations of the holy prophet muhammad may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him but uh, like i said this is something which god him almighty himself said um and the, i'm paraphrasing but the, this narration is that uh, god almighty is speaking to his people and he says that i was hungry and uh, you didn't come to to feed me and uh, the the people who he, uh, are being addressed over there they say that god almighty how on earth can you ever be hungry uh, and and why would we not come to your aid if 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 you were in such a state and uh, allah the almighty responds by saying that my such and such person was uh, hungry and you didn't feed him and then he goes on to say that i was thirsty on one occasion and uh, you didn't uh, quench my thirst and again the individual said uh, allah the almighty how on, how on earth is it possible for you to ever be thirsty um <clears throat> and for us to to know of this and not come to your aid and the holy the allah the almighty responds by saying that the such and such person uh, who is beloved to me was thirsty and you didn't go and quench his thirst 
and uh, then uh, for a third time he a uh, uh, similar um, thing that he said he said that I was ill I was sick and you didn't come to to look after me or to to pay me a visit and again the 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 people respond by saying that um, how, how can you ever be sick how can you ever be ill um, how can such an affliction ever befall upon you you're the the, the Almighty um, and uh, uh, the, the Allah the Almighty responds by saying that such and such person who is dear to me um, was ill and you did not go to visit him. And so from this narration of uh, the Holy, uh, from Allah the Almighty, we can see the importance of uh, visiting um, the ill as well. And this actually brings us to an end for this first um uh, first segment. Uh, like I mentioned earlier as well, we are going to be speaking about two more topics in the second hour. High air pollution alert issued for London and how researchers uncover 92 fossil nests belonging to some of India's largest dinosaurs. So, so do stay tuned, don't go anywhere and join us after the break. Here is the 8 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam radio station, where we are now going to be speaking about our second topic. Uh, if you are just tuning in, uh, then the first topic that we were just addressing today was in regards to a 10-minute scan and how it enables detection and cure of the most common cause of high blood pressure. Um, in uh, now we're going to be speaking about high air pollution alert issued for London um, and then after that we'll be addressing uh, researchers and cover 92 fossil nests belonging to some of India's largest dinosaurs um, so just getting straight into this for, uh, this second segment now high air pollution alert issued for London Mr Khan said people needed to be careful over the next few days quote unquote and avoid unnecessary car journeys. The capital has experienced moderate air pollution since Saturday with the continuing cold still and foggy conditions resulting in poor dispersion of vehicle emissions. Um, so, Daniel, if you can uh, briefly mention what this article is talking about um, and then, of course, We'll be addressing why the air pollution was uh, warning was issued, what safety measures should be taken to avoid the harmful effects of air pollution, um, and also Islamically as well, what we are taught uh, in this regard. Um, so on January the 23rd, 2023, the mayor of London, Sadi Khan, issued a high air pollution alert um, across London for the upcoming days of cold, fog and still winter conditions. And the winter conditions, which are producing poor dispersion of car fumes and emission, the mayor of London urged people to be careful over upcoming days and avoid planning unnecessary car journeys. He mentioned um, during his air pollution forecast issued by the Imperial College London that he will alert the Transport for London network as, as well as schools and colleges in the city to display and advise people to use the public transport rather than um, traveling in cars and uh, worsening the air pollution um, due to the fact that uh, alongside extreme cold uh, temperature, 
the air pollution percentage will also increase massively as people will use their cars to make most of their journeys. The mayor of London said that people should be aware of how dangerous toxic air is for Londoners. Uh, therefore, um, Mr. Sadiq Khan has um, taken all the possible measures to tackle the problem and thus uh, protecting those who are more vulnerable to high air pollution. He also said um, that London has the world's largest quality monitoring network. Um, that's a bit shocking news for me. Not shocking news for me. New news for me mm-hmm. um, that um, London has the world's largest air quality monitoring uh, network. Um, I think that's the best thing uh, which we have. Um, so which allows for live and high quality data to support poll- uh, pollution forecasting for London's air quality alert service, um, which allows um, instant measures to take place and protect people. And um, uh, regarding so um, a high um, high air pollution um, warning, so we, we, we'll we'll get into that in just a short while. I think. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, but before we do so, um, we do have with us on the line Oliver Lord, uh, who leads the Clean Cities campaign in the UK, which is Europe wide, uh, which is a Europe wide campaign aiming to encourage cities to transition to zero emission mobility by 20, 20, uh, 2030. The campaign encourages city leaders to become champions of active. Um, um, uh, shared and electric mobility for a more livable and sustainable urban future. Prior to this, Oliver spent several years in London as a city poli- uh, policy official and transport planner helping to reduce harmful vehicle emissions. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Morning, it's great to be with you. And How are you? Likewise, uh, very good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you, yeah. Awesome. Um, to, to Just getting straight into the questions, really, is a very important topic uh, that we are addressing today. Mm-hmm. To what extent are we being exposed to air pollutants and what health risks uh, do they pose? Yeah, I mean, uh, sadly, it's actually quite a serious subject to be having um, over breakfast this morning, but yeah. air pollution is actually responsible for around one in nine deaths around the world, but wow. and it causes more harm than passing smoking would you believe it wow. it's actually also the biggest the largest environmental risk to our public health in, in the uk here uh, equivalent to around tens of thousands of deaths a year um, and most importantly it's it's the long-term exposure to this air pollution that a lot of us are breathing in in especially in the major cities in the uk that causes chronic conditions that you can imagine like cardiovascular respiratory diseases lung cancer and we're especially talking about cases of childhood asthma as well which is very serious because you just live with that for the rest of your life yeah and that then leads to a lot of health inequities mm-hmm. and what uh, economic cost does air pollution cause and how can we actually uh, mitigate the effects on the environment yeah well i suppose if you if you think about what we're you know the dirty air we're, we're breathing in the impact it has on our health that then leads to a, a great deal of cost for um the uk government and and cities because it's about the cost um, that we're paying out in health and social care costs. So uh, an example being that around the country, well, I think in England, about 20,000 young people are admitted to hospital with asthma uh, yeah. every year. Yeah. And then you've kind of got the, 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 the Prime Minister at the same time sort of scrambling to fund an extra 5,000 beds for the NHS. And so a lot of 
the health impacts that we're talking about are actually we we believe they're preventable and, and so do the public health england and if we can really bring down and improve people's health and actually we're pumping less uh, needing to fund uh, the nhs and social care system less it also affects businesses right i mean yeah. if, if employees are getting ill they're taking time off or people don't want to necessarily invest in, in some of the most polluted cities. And I've heard that from other mayors uh, elsewhere in Europe as well, that they're concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as a former transport planner, how has the role impacted the way you view vehicle emissions here in the UK? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I suppose in my job, I started to see how much we've designed our cities to be so car dependent really um you know i think a recent report came out that around three quarters of drivers think they're always going to own a car or or actually around just under half think they've got no alternative to 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 drive a car and that's that's a real shame actually and now we're stuck in a situation really in in england that around a quarter of all the trips we make in in cars are actually under two miles so the question is sort of transport planners is like how do we actually give people the alternatives to um, needing to use their own car and especially the polluting cars that we've got on our streets. Yeah. And public policy can have a big impact because if you think about um, freight as well, you know, we're seeing a 20% increase in vans in the capital over the past decade. And that's just not sustainable. And that's all related to home deliveries and, and, and the way we're purchasing things. So I, you can you can imagine the way we actually design our cities and our public transport system can actually have a huge role and influence over, over air pollution because we then end up using lots of polluting vehicles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and lastly, the Clean Cities Campaign UK aims for zero emission mobility by 2030, isn't it? Which key policies should the government focus on to make this goal possible? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think there's a ludicrous situation going on right now that in, in the past 10 years, the government has um, frozen uh, fuel duty um, for vehicles, but we've let train fares increase by 35%. We've let bus fares increase by 65%, and in March there's going to be another 5.9% around the country. So, and, and as I was saying, if, you, if, you, if you're going to try and give people more convenient and accessible alternatives to using a car, then that's really not giving people the right message. Exactly. And we actually we actually looked at cities around Europe, and we found that um, London, Birmingham, and Manchester, the ones that we looked at in England, were all bottom for the cost of public transport compared to, to household income. So that would be my number one priority. Yeah. My second would be around some sort of scrappage scheme for people to... To who, who need the, the most support to get out of these polluting vehicles because they've kind of been locked into this lifestyle for quite a considerable amount of time. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I'd, I'd love to stress as well whilst I'm on the show is just the, the um, imbalance and the inequity that air pollution can cause to people's health. And a lot of research has shown that it's, it's the most deprived communities and it's also the communities of colour that are affected the most by, by air pollution. And that's that's another challenge with air pollution. If we can get it right, then we can have a more equal society as well. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, especially what you mentioned at, at the beginning, uh, was it a, a one in nine people? Uh, 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 around the world, yeah. Around the yeah. world, wow. And uh, I mean, it just goes to show how much more work needs to be done to to better the the, the, the environment and the air pollution that we, we're seeing. Um, especially mm-hmm. in, in regards to what you said, there, there needs to be some kind of an incentive as well. Well, isn't it? If you're, if you want people to get rid of uh, or 
use less of their cars and of their vehicles, their motor vehicles, mm-hmm. then of course you need to give them an alternative. If there's, if the fares are are, are going up for for so many other things, like you mentioned, another five point nine percent in in March, um, and we we've, we've seen fares for for buses and trams and trains and everything rising mm-hmm. and rising, then then obviously people are just going to say, well, it's more worth it for me to actually go in the comfort of my own car. So yeah, like you mentioned, there needs to be some kind of incentive um, and these things really need to be uh, looked at as well, the, the fares for for public transport. Absolutely agree, yeah. And we've actually got some research coming out quite soon that, that puts that towards the top of our list along with a, a decent scrappage scheme and also some help just to, to, to purchase a bike as well and, and give that a go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, these the small things can, uh, uh, I say small, but they make such a huge difference. I mean, uh, oftentimes mm-hmm. we're, 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 we're so comfortable um, that we, His Holiness, uh, our uh, worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he said this as well, that even if you're going or traveling about a, a mile uh, or so or a kilometer, then then people are so comfortable that they, they will just take their cars uh, rather mm-hmm. than walking or taking the bike. And this mindset we need to change uh, with Within ourselves, and only then can we actually uh, be hopeful of a, of a better future. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I mean, you mentioned in the intro as well. We're really keen on more shared things. So, yeah. you know, why does everyone have to buy their own car? Why can't we have lots of car clubs in the cities mm-hmm. so that people can keep more of their own money? Really, and yeah. you know, most of the time, people are using that car about five. Percent of the year. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Oliver, thank you. Uh, it was a, a delightful speaking with you, and we hope you have all the best in your work, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. Thanks so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Thanks. Thank you. Likewise. Bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. That was Oliver Lord, uh, who leads the city uh, Clean Cities campaign here in the UK, which is a Europe-wide campaign aiming to encourage cities to transition to zero emission mobility by 2030. The campaign encourages city leaders to become more uh, become champions of active, shared, and electric mobility for a more livable and sustainable urban future. Prior to this, uh, Oliver spent several years in London as a city planner official and transport planner, helping to reduce harmful vehicle emissions. Yeah, and um, just just on that, I, just want, I had a, uh, one point I wanted to mention that mm-hmm. uh, within Islam, you know, uh, looking after the environment is something that the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has emphasized as well. And, uh, you know, he said that when any Muslim uh, plants a tree, or cultivate a land and you know birds and men or even animals benefit from it yeah. and eat from it then that is seen as charity on his behalf so you know this is something that islam has you know he's emphasized and uh, we know the importance of it and you know it's it's uh, you know a, the duty of every muslim that he uh, looks after the environment that he lives in as well because obviously as we know clean air means that you know our health would also be uh, good because you know bad air air pollution does result in a lot of illnesses as well. Yeah, yeah, um, and we'll we'll be listening to an audio clip uh, of His Holiness, uh, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, in in a short while. Uh, but in that, we'll you'll also come to know uh, that uh, uh, I mean, uh, because of the deforestation and other such things as well, we because you mentioned planting trees, isn't it? Whenever uh, uh, we cut down a tree, 
we should at least the bare minimum should be that we at least grow two more trees uh, elsewhere around the world so that uh, um, th- that benefit we can still see rather than getting rid of um, these uh, these benefits um uh, obviously we need to we need to make sure that we can see more and more of this uh, as well yeah i agree 100% next we have on the line dr gary fuller uh he is an air pollution scientist at imperial college london he is one of three clean air champions for uk research and innovation <coughs> his research focuses on urban air pollution how it is challenging and how it affects our health. He is also the author of The Invisible Killer, the rising global threat of air pollution and how we can fight back. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome to The Breakfast Show and thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Thank you for being with us. Um, Just getting into it, uh, I think the first question I would like to know is that your your book, um, The Invisible Killer, uh, covers the rising global threat of air pollution. And um, what would you say is its key takeaway on how we can fight back air pollution? I, I think we have to learn, really, from the mistakes that have been made over the last 70 years. Um, December marked the 70th anniversary of London's sort of great, so-called great smog, when around 12,000 people died from air pollution. Uh-huh, and city authorities have been battling against air pollution uh, since that time. But the way in which we've done it is only to regard one and tackle one air pollutant at a time. And we've missed the other ones that have appeared. So if I can put in an example, in, from the 1950s, we mm-hmm. tackled the smoke from home fires, but we didn't tackle the sulfur. Uh-huh, this led yeah. to the acid rain problems of the 70s and 80s. So we tackled them by um, tackling industri- industrial emissions, but at the same time we overlooked the rise of uh, air pollution from traffic. And this story happens all the way through, that we only tackle one aspect of the problem, rather than, as you were talking about before, kind of regarding our air as a perhaps a precious resource, rather than a way of disposing of our waste. Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, as a co-author of um, Every Breath You Take, uh, which explores the lifelong impacts of air pollution, um, what is the link between air pollution exposure and people's uh, health? Yeah, the Every Breath You Take report was done by the Royal College of Physicians and I was uh, really quite honoured to be asked to be part of the group uh, that wrote it. What we were doing at that time, and it's nearly 10 years old now, was we were aware that there were loads of research studies that were appearing that were saying that air pollution doesn't just affect us at the end of our lives, but it can affect us at the beginning yeah, as well yeah. and all the way through our development. So, for instance, there was emerging evidence at that time about the way that air pollution is affecting pregnancy and, you know, outcomes, uh, birth outcomes, and then affecting children as they grow up. For instance, um, well, and there's been more research since this time, we've found that looking at school children in East London, those that are growing up in the most polluted places are growing smaller lungs. Oh, wow. Since the report, yeah, so um, it may not be noticeable to them, 
but maybe if you think about elderly members of your family towards the you know the yeah. end of their lives when they've got flu and certainly more <clears> recently <throat> covid yeah older people you know really suffer uh these time from breathing problems and cough and if we're growing children that have smaller lungs are we leaving ourselves a sort of health legacy mm, for yeah. 50 70 years time yeah i mean it really... we also sorry go ahead no sorry please please go ahead yeah and we're also learning since the report came out uh about new ways in which air pollution is affecting our health not just through shortening our lives but we're learning about the connection between air pollution and dementia for instance um and we're also learning about air pollution and mental health mm-hmm. but I, I think it's fair to say that the effects of air pollution are probably high in front of us but hiding in plain sight yeah so a recent report looked at people living with chronic diseases <clears throat> and found that those people that live with uh, chronic diseases are mainly living in places with worse air pollution so it's in front of us all the time perhaps in the asthma that your relative may have in their heart disease or certainly in the asthma that children may be experiencing yeah yeah i mean i mean obviously uh, you know if we have better air it obviously means that we have better health and yes. uh, yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a point that we must uh, also remember um <clears throat> It intuitively makes sense, but yeah. I think we forget it. Yeah, yeah. And we don't treasure this, you know, natural resource that is the air that we breathe. Yeah, yeah. I think also, also if we if we also remember that we must also leave the world uh, better for our future generations, that's one point we should also remember. And um, just on that, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, and also perhaps grow the next generation yeah, to, yeah. Ha- to have, uh, you know, all of us as parents, we want our, our children to have, uh, better life opportunities and yeah. better life than we've experienced. Yeah. It's a natural. It's a natural want. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what lessons uh, can we learn from air pollution management in the past, and uh, how can they? Uh, how can the government um, help develop better policies? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of discussion really when you when you're interviewed on programs such as yours. I'm often asked, what can people do to help the problem? And there are many things that people can do to help. Um, but as a scientist, I could stand here and say, well, don't drive your car so much. If you're heating your home uh, with wood then and, and solid fuel, just don't do it. It's the most polluting way to do so. But many people don't have a choice in this. It's no use saying to me saying to you, oh, you know, cycle your with your kids to school or something like that if there's no safe cycle routes to do so. So I think there's a big role in government in helping people make different choices about the air pollution they emit. And there's huge opportunities here. You know, if we can get people travelling more actively, walking and cycling, we can help air pollution. Yeah. We can help the climate emergency, yeah, yeah through the less emissions from fossil fuels. We can help the urban noise that plagues the lives of so many. Yeah. And we can also help ourselves be a little bit fitter and combat some of the diseases of inactivity that affect people's lives so severely. Yeah, yeah. And... Um... Uh, which area of research do you believe should be given more attention 
uh, in order to be in order to better understand air pollution? Yeah, um, I think if you talk to scientists, we always tend to say end every piece with more research is needed, hmm. and. If you like, we, we go into science because we are driven by curiosity and driven by a desire to, I suppose, make the world better. But we're driven by curiosity, so we always want to do more research. I think you have to call a point when you say, perhaps we have enough research for government to act. And this message that scientists give of, oh, we need more research, is it giving the wrong message to our politicians? Is it saying that we don't have enough research in order for them to, you know, to act to cure this problem to help their people? So, for instance, um, over 60,000 research papers have been produced since the wow. 1930s on air pollution and people's health. Almost half of those have been produced in the last 10 years. Wow. So the evidence base, to me, that's involved in it is really just overwhelming. So yeah. I would say in some ways that we do we need to understand it better. What we need to understand is how to make it better. Yeah. And we need to understand, you know, when we go and do things like London's ultra-low emission zone is in the news all of the time. Yeah, yeah, it need you know how well that's working, and it's working quite well. That needs to be uh, considered as well. Yeah, and we can't forget internationally. I mean, you as a as a radio station have quite an international uh, perspective on many things. And if we look at the parts of the world and the countries that are around India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Iran, Iraq, China, and the countries around that. Around half of humanity lives in that part of the world. And these yeah. are some of the most polluted places on the planet. Yeah. And we need to be able to convince their governments and enable their governments to be able to give solutions for their people. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also one of those things where, you know, if we remember that health is wealth and, you know, better air is obviously going to mean that we have better health. So, you know, we it's a... It's a important um thing to do uh, undoubtedly if yeah if you look at the cost to the uk national health service um it, it runs at somewhere between 50 and 160 million pounds a year from just dealing with the sort of impacts of air pollution and that's the tip of the iceberg if you think about all of the social care costs around that and let's say children who because of their asthma can't go to school for a time you know they're losing education that's a sort of lifelong investment mm. so undoubtedly um i i completely agree at the health and wealth uh connection yeah yeah uh dr gary fuller thank you very much for joining us today um have a great day and a lovely week ahead Yes, and you. And thank you very much for inviting me along and to join in the discussion. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Gary Fuller, is an, uh, who is an air pollution scientist at Imperial College London. He is one of the three clean air champions for UK research innovation. His research focuses on urban air pollution, how it is changing and how it affects our health. Mm-hmm. Very interesting uh, conversation and and a lot to learn from as well, isn't it? Uh, uh, especially for the next generation. 
Um, more on uh, what we can do to better the environment, better the atmosphere uh, around us. Um, in the words of the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazim Rizam Masoor Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, um, in which he, he was asked a question um, uh, from a member of the community in regards to air pollution. And this is the answer that he gave. This climate change or climate change problem is the issue everywhere all across the world, right? And uh, especially in the third world countries where uh, the population is increasing in numbers, eh? in, in, uh, you can say without any proportion. So and uh, just to accommodate this population, you are uh, increasing your uh, residential areas. And because of increasing the residential areas, you, you are uh, cutting the forest. So this deforestation is also causing climate change. So you, you have to be very particular very concerned that whenever you cut any tree, you should plant two trees to replace the, that tree. And whenever you are in, the population is increasing, you should also increase in that area where there is already some uh, clear area. Not that you cut, cut the forests and uh, do deforestation. And apart from that, you see, this uh, fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now we have, we have become so lazy that if we want to go from one place to the other place and the distance is only 100 yards or 200 yards, instead of walking to the place, we shall take our motorbike or the car to go to that place. Right? And in this way also you are polluting the atmosphere. Pollu the pollution is increasing in the environment. And there are so many other factors which are causing pollution and climate change. And so we have to be very careful. Although we cannot say that because of the fear of uh, climate change we should, uh, should not produce uh, children or we should do family planning. No, but at the same time we should plan in such a way that the forest should not be cut without any proportion. If you cut one tree, you plant two trees. Try to establish your or develop your areas or increase your, your to make your new to to, to start new developments, residential developments in those areas which are near to the town and the, the big villages so that the forests are not disturbed. And at the same time, use less uh, such type of vehicles which are uh, being uh, run by the fuels and now making pollution in the atmosphere, right? So, and apart from that, 
That is a natural process. And uh, if God wishes that he has to reduce the population of this world, then there is the natural process that he will, the, the nature, law of nature will also work. So whatever we should do is that whatever is in our hand, we should try to do that one. Right? So you should, if you are using motorbike, don't use it too much. If you are using car, don't use it too much. Eh? It would be better if you walk even up to one mile distance. Doesn't matter. Right? And also, Khudamul Ahmadiyya and Wakfin and all should start a scheme to for the plantation of the trees in the forests and in different areas. Right? And in Indonesia also, because of the climate change, you know, the, the, the level of the sea is increasing. And uh, now yes. Jakarta is now sinking. Eh? There are quite a number of places the beaches and the seashore areas where your buildings even are sinking, right? And it, it is said that after some time, after a few years, you would, not, you, would not, you would not be able to see Jakarta on the face of the earth, eh? right? So it is not only that because uh, Indonesian people are uh, not... Uh, Vigilant uh, with regards to um, take myers for the betterment of the climate, but it is you see it is it's a global issue. So in the North Pole, South Pole, everywhere, it is uh, being uh, it, is, it is happening. So we can also pray and also try our best to reduce this climate change, right? That was His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed, in regards to what can be done to better air pollution. Um, some very sound advice that all of us should be following um, and inculcating within our day-to-day lives. Uh, very simple things that we, 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 we're doing. Um, if if you're going uh, uh, to, to some place which is not at a great distance, then instead of taking the uh, uh, a car or a motorbike or any other uh, type of uh, transport in which it would be uh, negative for the environment then uh, you should uh, walk instead um, and of course uh, uh, because of the uh, the, the need uh, to um, build more and more houses if uh, deforestation is taking place and rather than just uh, cutting down trees and, uh, uh, and and doing nothing about it. Uh, whenever we cut a tree, like His Holiness said, we should always try to um, uh, plant two more at least uh, at, a, at a different location so that the benefits um, are still there as well. Um, if we turn to chapter 30, verse 42 of the Holy Quran, um, Allah the Almighty states that corruption has appeared on land and sea because of what men's hands have wrought. 
that he may make them taste the fruit of some of their doings so that they may turn back from evil. Um, if we turn to chapter 18, verse 8 of the Holy Quran, it states that verily we have made all that is on the earth as an ornament for it, that we may try them as to which of them is b uh, best in conduct. Um, and of course, the Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, like uh, Jalees, you mentioned earlier as well, there, there is none amongst you who plants a tree or sows seeds, and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it. But that would be taken as an act of charity for him. Um, and uh, with that, we are going to be uh, going to our last segment for the day um, and how researchers uncover 92 fossil nests belonging to some of India's largest uh, dinosaurs. Um, but uh, just, just, to, just to reiterate how important it is for us to look after the environment, look after the atmosphere and do whatever we can. It, it might be a, of some inconvenience for you to walk uh, at a short distance rather than taking your motorbike or your car or it, to, to carpool instead of uh, uh, going in your own car um, or taking the uh, pu public transport. All of these things, they, they, they might come at a bit of an inconvenience for you. But like uh, our previous guest mentioned as well, and uh, how Jaleez, you, you were talking to him about that, that uh, we want, we need to uh, leave the world in a better state than when we found it. Um, and of course, it's essential for our future generations for us to actually uh, do this as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, going straight into the last segment for the day. Um, Daniel, what's, uh, what's this segment all about? Um, so this segment, um, researchers uncover 92 fossils nests belonging to some of India's largest dinosaurs. Um, a bit different topic. And uh, regarding this, um, the um, paleontologists suggest that um, Patagotitan mare, a giant herbivore uh, that belongs to a group known as titanosaurs, um, weighed in at around 70 tons. The species lived in the forest uh, of today's uh, Patagonia about 100 to 95 million years ago. Uh, during the late uh, Cretaceous period um, and is one of the largest dinosaurs ever discovered. Um, because of its huge size, uh, Patagotitan uh, was simply known as the Titanosaur between its initial discovery in 2014 and its formal naming in August 2017. Titanosaurs um, had few threats from, predator, uh, from predators, uh, especially since so many of them stayed together in massive herds, and um, their noses could uh, possibly sniff out attackers. Um, carnivores like um, uh, a Belisers uh, or T-Rex would still try to uh, take a bite sometimes. Um, regarding the findings from the recent study published by the University of Delhi, um, there are some recent works in the area um, that uh, uncovered 92 nesting sites containing a total of 256 fossil eggs um, belonging to titanosaurs which were the um, which were among the largest dinosaurs to uh, 
to have ever lived. The authors um, identified six different egg species, um, suggesting a high diversity of titanosaurs than is represented by skeletal remains from this region. Um, based on the layout of the nests, um, the team inferred that these dinosaurs um, buried their eggs in shallow pits like modern-day crocodiles. Certain um, pathologies uh, found in the eggs, such as a rare case of an egg-in-egg, -egg, um, indicate that um, titanosaur sauropods have a reproductive um, physiology that parallels that of a bird and possibly laid their eggs in a um, sequential manner as seen in modern birds. Um, the presence of many nests uh, in the same area suggests that these dinosaurs exhibited colonial nesting behavior like uh, many um, modern birds, uh, but the close spacing of the nest uh, left little room for adult dinosaurs, supporting the idea that um, adults uh, left the hatchlings um, newborns to fend um, for themselves. Um, mm. so, so very interesting, yeah. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, uh, we can see it's, uh, especially for those with an interest uh, to, to, to dinosaurs. I know my, my son, he, <laughs> he's only two, so he won't understand what's going on over here, but he, he absolutely loves uh, uh, dinosaurs. Um, but yeah, Jalees, how, how can this actually, this study, how can this open doors uh, for, for, for future research? <coughs> Yeah, so um, dinosaurs or uh, details of dinosaur uh, reproductive habits can be difficult um, to determine. Uh, these fossil uh, fossil nests provide a wealth of data about some of the largest dinosaurs in history, and they come from a time shortly before the age of dinosaurs came to an end. Uh, the insights gleaned from this study contribute significantly to paleontologists' understanding of how dinosaurs and uh, dinosaurs lived and how they uh, evolved uh, harsha dhiman who is the uh, lead author of the research he uh, harsha dhiman lead author of the research adds that um, our research uh, and i quote um, our research has revealed the presence of an extensive hatchery of titanosaur uh, sauropod dinosaurs in the study area and offers new insights into the conditions of nest preservation and reproductive strategies of titanosaur sauropod dinosaurs just before they went extinct. End quote. Um, now we have us with us uh, Dr. Paul Upchurch. Um, uh, he's a professor of um, paleobiology and head of department for earth sciences, uh, University College London. He works on the um, evolution of dinosaurs and other groups such as crocodiles and mammals. Uh, he particularly specializes in the gigantic sauropod dinosaurs. Dr. Paul, welcome to the show and good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. Um, how are you doing, Dr. Paul? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Yes, right. how are you? <laughs> so, can you describe what the titanosaurs were and uh, where they lived? Yeah, so um, I think most of your audience are likely to be familiar with 
famous dinosaurs such as Brontosaurus and uh, Diplodocus or, or Diplodocus. These are the, the sauropod dinosaurs, and they're, they're mm-hmm. gigantic, um, you know, 20, 25 meters long, mm-hmm. um, weighing, you know, 15, 20, 25 metric tons, those sort of weights. Um, and they, they're particularly known for their, their long necks, the long tails, standing on all four fairly straight legs to hold up the body weight. So that's your, your sauropods generally, uh, which were an important group of plant eaters mm-hmm. um, while dinosaurs were around. Now, the titanosaurs were a group of, of sauropods, so a particular branch or family. Um, and they're particularly interesting, I think, because they're the ones which are around um, at the end before dinosaurs die out. So titanosaurs w- were around between about 125 million years ago and mm-hmm. 66 million years ago when we think a, a meteorite struck the Earth and wiped out the dinosaurs. Um, now, in terms of where titanosaurs are found, um, they're, they're pretty much globally distributed. So um, we think that sauropods didn't really get on very well with cold conditions. So we don't find them above uh, 60 degrees north and south of, of the equator. Mm-hmm. But within that, that sort of warm and temperate zone, um, you can find them everywhere. The first ones actually were, were found in India, interestingly. Um, but we now know that we've got them in Europe, Asia, North America, South America, Africa. And, and recently we started to find them in Australia. So they're, they're really everywhere. Very interesting. So what's the significance of finding these fossils in India specifically? Yeah, so um, so this new study is reporting um, a series of um, uh, egg, egg sites or, or hatcheries, as they're calling them. Um, so some very extensive areas, um, you know, several hundred square meters, uh, where you just see nest after nest after nest of these fossil uh, eggs. Um, some of them uh, haven't hatched. Some of them look like they've hatched, and you can see what they call hatching windows, where the the young sauropod would have pushed its its way out. So this is a, an exciting and interesting find, I think. I mean, we 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 already knew that these animals laid eggs, um, and we have found eggs and nests before, and we we've even found um, you know a few eggs with um, with little babies inside, but the the sheer quantity of data here uh, raises lots of interesting questions about, you know, how the animals were laying their eggs. What's their strategy? Because if you if you weigh you know 30 tons or more um, and you're laying eggs, well, you've got to be really careful not to to tread on the eggs. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can't you can't sit on the eggs to incubate them like a, like a hen would do. So how you know how did the young survive? And so it, it's lots of questions, but also lots of data to answer those questions. Mm, really amazing. So when fossils are discovered, um, what's the process of uh, analyzing them to find out these species? Yeah, so a lot depends on what kind of question you want to want to answer. But essentially, um, you know, we people see some uh, material uh, poking above the surface and there's a whole phase of you know, very carefully excavating that material, recording all the data. Um, photographing it, recording its, its its precise location using GPS and all those kind of things, and then typically um, sometimes things would you would continue to study them in situ in in the field, but often material is brought back to the laboratory for further study. Um, if you want to identify uh, what what it belongs to, then what you have to do is look for particular features, which might might be on the eggs themselves, um, the shape of the eggs, the kind of the little channels and pores that, that go through the eggs, um, the eggshell thickness, what it's made out of, 
And if you're really lucky, uh, you'll find some some bones, um, either of adults nearby or, or maybe um, bits and pieces of the, the embryos or hatchlings inside. And and then you, you look for sort of anatomical features that will allow you to compare uh, those specimens with things we already know about. And we can say, well, you know, it's, it's most similar to this one we already know. So it's, it's a member of that, that family, things like that. So... Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, human mm. beings have have some very particular characteristics. If you if you find a a human being from 2,000 years ago buried in the ground, you can identify it as a, as Homo sapiens from the possession of particular features, and we sort of follow the same process. Mm, that's very stunning and amazing to know about um, the dinosaurs and uh, what they were like. Um, so the last question, um, Dr. Paul, um, that uh, how does the discovery of dinosaur fossils um, help uh, paleontologists' understanding of how dinosaurs have evolved? Yes, well, I mean, obviously, um, <clears throat> essentially, without, <laughs> without fossils, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't know anything, really. It's, yeah. it's absolutely fundamental to, mm-hmm. um, to everything we do in the science. But... There are lots of examples of, of what you can do with, with the fossils these days, and it's, it's much more advanced now because of new technology. So we can put them in, in, um, in CT scanners and things like that and get, get information from inside, you know, inside eggs or inside the, the skulls of these things. Um, we can build models of dinosaurs, uh, computerized models, and then we can sort of you know, make them walk and uh, and uh, you know make them bite things and see how their jaws would have coped with that. Um, and in, the, in this particular case of the you know the the egg laying, um, there are all sorts of um, interesting bits of information there. So some of the eggs had 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 problems, hadn't hatched properly mm-hmm. um, because the shells were too thick or in some cases one egg had been accidentally combined with it with another egg and this this that particular second one is something that we only really see in in birds today and what that tells us is is something about the the reproductive system of these dinosaurs and and how they were moving eggs around mm. um in the what's called the the oviduct so you, you you produce your your embryo you give it some some yolk and some some white and then you surround it by shell all within the mother before it's laid and, if, and depending on how that works, certain problems may occasionally arise. So, so the fact that we have these eggs that haven't worked properly is telling us something about what was going on literally inside the dinosaurs, which I think is great. Um, certainly, most certainly. Um, thank you very much, Dr. Paul, uh, for sharing us uh, the, um, and enlightening us with your expertise. Thank you for being on the show and have a good, uh, good day ahead. Thank you very much and you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was Dr. Paul Upchurch, um, who was a professor, who is the professor of uh, paleobiology and head of department for Earth Sciences, University College London. He works on the evolution of dinosaurs and other groups such as crocodiles and mammals. Uh, he particularly specializes in the gigantic sauropod dinosaurs. Hmm, very, very interesting. A uh, delightful conversation over there. Um, the uh, how can this study uh, open doors for future research? We 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 touched on this uh, uh, earlier as well, um, and it, it it brings us to the Islamic side of things, where there is no aspect uncovered by the Holy Quran, and so it comes as no surprise, of course, that foresight uh, about archaeological uh, and scientific discoveries in of the past, present, and future 
is entailed in this unique scripture, which is that of the Holy Quran, like I mentioned. Um, if we turn to chapter 29, verse 21 of the Holy Quran, it professes, say, travel in the earth and see how he originated the cre creation. Then will Allah provide the latter creation. Surely Allah has power, power over all things. And it, it's, it's such a, a, a beautiful verse of the Holy Quran in which Allah the Almighty has instructed us um, to travel in the earth um, and see uh, how different uh, different people are, different uh, nations are, different areas are, um, in terms of of everything, right? It's not just to learn from different um, um, uh, backgrounds of people or, or people of different tribes or di or different lineage, but rather um, how the, um, the 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 wonders of nature work as well yeah um you can see that uh, you can learn from uh, how the 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 oceans are in a specific area and how they are in a different area uh you can learn from the um the the the, the way that uh, a certain people erect their buildings and how a, a different type of people uh, erect their buildings or design their buildings uh, i mean when when you travel um then your 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 uh, your horizons broaden so much and you can learn so much. And this is exactly why Allah the Almighty has on, on this occasion, which we've just narrated as well, has said that Siru fil Ard, that travel in the earth. Mm -hmm. And on another occasion, he said that he's made us into tribes and sub-tribes so that we can recognize one another. Yeah. And this is the beauty of research. This is the, the, the beauty of understanding more and more and more about the things which are around us. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just like you said, just... Uh, um, uh, further elaborating on what you said, that you know, traveling—it's not—it's not enough just for traveling, but to uh, when we travel, we we are made to understand the past. You know, we visit ancient sites, museums, archaeological sites, mm. and uh, this helps gain a deeper understanding of history. And most importantly, we then learn uh, lessons, and they, they teach us lessons that we can learn from. And this is what the Holy Quran says: that when you do travel in the world, then see uh the look at the outcome of the peoples that were before you mm -hmm. and uh, you know we should obviously uh learn from the lessons that we have of the past because obviously the as a famous uh, saying goes that if we uh, to be well equipped for the future we should understand our past and yeah. you know if we if we forget if people forget their past then they cannot you know uh prevail or they, they cannot uh, have a, a bright future ahead because obviously lessons from the past they're not going to change or lessons are always the same yeah you know it's uh, we got a head start we, we can get a head start if we look at the past learn from the lessons and then implement those lessons that we learn in the future most yeah, certainly. most certainly. Yeah, it Jalis uh, and uh, Samari, it reminds me, um, carrying on your conversation, it reminds me of another verse uh, from the Holy Quran. Um, uh, means that when the earth is shaken with her violent shaking and the earth throws up her burdens. Um, there, there are many different interpretations of these two verses, but one of the interpretation of these verses could be that... Um, um, there will be a vast knowledge of um, release of vast knowledge of all kinds, whether it's spiritual or physical, and especially to the sciences of uh, geology and uh, archaeology. And um, most certainly, our topic is like this: that uh, the discovery of uh, uh, the new 
um, hatches of um, um, uh, dinosaurs, um, new fossils, eggs, and uh, uh, we find that uh, Quran revealed 1400 years ago that there will be a time uh, to come that um, such discoveries will will come out, such discoveries will happen, and uh, this also these two verses um, are also uh, the um, shows that how true. Uh, the words of the God Almighty are and that um, it shows the um, th these prophecies shows that the Quran is uh, not uh, the word of uh, any ordinary uh, person rather it is a word of God Almighty and uh, which was revealed 1400 years ago definitely definitely um and uh, the in the holy quran chapter 82 verse 5 to 6 uh Allah the almighty states that and when the graves are laid open each soul shall then know what it has sent forth and what it has held back and what this verse emphasizes how is how a time will come when mankind will turn towards the dead to discover secrets and answers of the past I mean, it's so beautiful. Uh, it's astounding, really, to to think that over fourteen hundred years ago now, Allah the Almighty uh, would send down a prophet, uh, send down his revelation. It would be recorded, and then so many years later, we will uh, continue to reap the blessings uh, of the discoveries of the Holy Quran. Not just uh, uh, um, these discoveries that we see over here, but when we uh, ponder upon the verses of the Holy Quran, we can learn so much more. Um, the the uh, when the the verses of the Holy Quran were being revealed, of course, it had its meaning at that time and it had its interpretation at that time. Uh, but there would, there would be some things that maybe uh, the companions at that time did not understand. Yeah. So many things. We, uh, time doesn't permit uh, for us to go into detail for that. But so many things. Uh, there were revelation uh, prophecies rather um, about the past. Things which are, uh, have been being fulfilled in the last two centuries or so. Yeah. Um, and at that time, uh, people uh, had probably a different. Uh, um, 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 uh, interpretations for that but the more we progress the more we uh, our level of intellect increases the more our research uh, increases um, the more we will be able to learn and understand about the Holy Quran as well yeah and uh, just a point on that is um, when we have new research that comes out where scientists and researchers where they are where they uh, you know where they're happy when they find something new mm -hmm. As Muslims, when we read the Holy Quran, when we read the verses that you, uh, that Samar and uh, Dani that you quoted, it, it's a it's a time for Muslims to rejoice that exactly. you know this is something that yeah. was told to us fourteen hundred years ago, <clears throat> and it's it, it strengthens our faith as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. shows the truthfulness of the Holy Quran as well. Yeah, yeah, no, no, most certainly. I, it's it just goes to show how perfect uh, this book is and how perfect this religion is as well. Um, and with that, we have come now to an end for today's uh, today's show. Thank you uh, to everyone who was involved. Thank you to the listeners as well. Um, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. Here is the nine o'clock news.